The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Hello and welcome back. Today we're going to do the final episode in the relationship in writing series, and we're going to talk about friends to lovers slash enemies to lovers. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this last was because this is a little bit more complicated because you have to combine two types of relationships into one. You have to make transformation happen and you have to think about the reader all while you're accomplishing, uh, while you're attempting to accomplish this. So we talked about friends, right? We talked about romance. uh, And in there, I talked a little bit as we've been going through this situation, uh, actually yesterday and the day before we talked about family and workplace relationships and how we can use uh, antagonists in both of those places to promote character growth as our characters moving along their arc. And so uh, we're going to talk about all those things today because we're writing friendships, right? If they're friends to lovers, Uh, we're writing romantic relationships. That's the lovers part. And then if we're doing enemy to lovers, we're talking about uh, the antagonist, maybe, right? It could be in the maybe they're not the real antagonist, which we're going to talk about that uh, as they transfer and transition into lovers, which is, again, the romance relationship. So see, I had to like build this foundation for you before we could get to the truly delightful Uh, episode about how to make these transitional types of relationships so that you have like the beginning and the end. And then now we're going to talk about merging them together. So when we look at a friends to lovers or enemies to lovers relationship, the thing that we have to remember is that there has to be a transformation that occurs in order for this shift to happen. And we need to think about how we show that transformation and what needs to happen inside of the plot and inside of the choices and actions and reactions of the different characters to get to the point where the reader will believe that the transformation is complete. So, of course, uh, we need to talk about love triangles. And um, (laughs) I know that you're like, listen, Kristen, I'm sick of love triangles. And I would be like, okay, I agree. I agree that some love triangles are just, I, we're, I'm over it too. I'm tired of people trying to convince me that every single relationship has a love triangle going on because it's just not true. Okay. But I want to point out that even in Pride and Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice, which was my favorite book of all time until I read Star Wars Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Uh, even in Pride and Prejudice, there is a love triangle. And you're like, what? 
no, that's not true. But okay, I'm about to blow your mind if you think it's wrong. Because there's a love triangle with Elizabeth Bennet at the center, of course, because she's the protagonist. And you have Mr. Darcy and Mr. Wickham. And you're like, what? No. Yes. Yes, it is a love triangle because the first time that Elizabeth refuses Mr. Darcy, one of the reasons that she gives is because he was so messed up to Wickham. So she's like, no, I choose him over you, like in a way even though uh, she hadn't directly chosen him at that point. But so we see, like, oh, uh, she's got two dudes. They both like her, or at least she thinks they both like her, right? We know that uh, Wickham is playing her, obviously, the way he plays every single woman. And she's going to choose between the two. And so basically we have both uh, transformations happening in this book at the same time, but just one of them is reverse. So we have the classic uh, enemy to lover situation with Mr. Darcy because um, she thinks he's a jerk, right? And so all this transformation has to happen. But also we see the friend to lover with Mr. Wickham. And then, although they don't become technical lovers, like she's in love with him, right? And then we see uh, the reverse of that, which is uh, lover, right, in theory, to enemy because of what Wickham does that uh, scandalizes Elizabeth's family. So you're like, okay, all right. Well, I th- I know that Pride and Prejudice is good and it's classic, but I didn't realize that it had all of these things built into it. And I would argue that the reason why love triangles are so popular has to do with uh, you know, Jane Austen, she set it up. She was, I'm not going to say that she created the genesis of the love triangle, but we see in these books written by women from the age, uh, you know, that Jane Austen wrote in that they have these, they have love triangles. <laughs> like even, uh, in Emma, there's a love triangle there. And, um, but it's not, it's like two ladies and then, uh, the the main love interest, right? So Emma's one of the triangle members. Um, but Emma's my le- one of my least favorite books. I actually haven't read the whole thing through. I like stopped at two thirds and was like, I can't deal with this. And I went and watched the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow, which was lovely, by the way. So it's much less painful if you want to ingest Emma that way. <laughs> and that's the point, though. Jane Austen knew what she was doing. She's like, this character basically seems unredeemable, and I'm going to redeem them. And you're like, how did you even do this? Because I used to hate Emma, and now I love Emma. And so, you know, she knew what she was doing, and that's why I think that it's okay if you like love triangles, and it's okay to write love triangles, uh, because Jane Austen did it, and if she did it, it's good enough for me, and it's good enough for you. But if you don't want to have a love triangle, you don't have to have one in order to have the friends to lovers or enemies to lovers uh, phenomena. It just adds the element of will she, won't she, will he, won't he uh, sort of thing. And also love triangles create allegiances. And I'm going to talk about Hunger Games. And if you don't like Hunger Games, I'm sorry. And also I don't understand you. But um, yeah, lay it out for me why you don't like it. Uh, personally, I think Katniss is a very unlikable character that doesn't make me dislike the book at all, or the books, I should say. Um, But what you have in there is like classic, very classic love triangle to where people had Team PETA and Team Gale shirts, 
that they wore, that they physically wore, okay? It's the same with the Twilight Saga as well. They had, like, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm not a Twilight person. Um, I will still, yeah, we can still be friends. I have a really good friend who's, like, a diehard Twilight fan, uh, and she's also a writer. And so we don't, we can't, we don't have to break up our friendship over Twilight or Hunger Games, right? Or Pride and Prejudice. But also, if you don't like Pride and Prejudice, I don't understand why. <laughs> I'd love to hear arguments as to why, because I'm sure there are, are valid reasons. Uh, but so in Hunger Games, let's go back to that. You had uh, these two males, and then you have a female protagonist, and Katniss is like, the genesis of the rebirth of the strong female protagonist. I feel like after we got her, and not that other people weren't writing it, but that was like the big launch to where we saw so many writers embrace the female protagonist after those books came out to the point where now people are like, please don't write any more female protagonists stuck in a love triangle where she's like in a dystopia fighting for her life. Uh, that's also what we see in the Veronica Roth series. Uh, the Divergent series where there's like a strong female protagonist. So we we got a bunch of books like that out of the out of Hunger Games because it was so popular. But the reason why uh, it's it was smart for Suzanne Collins, who wrote the Hunger Games trilogy, to create a love triangle within the story is because if you're not going to keep reading to figure out whether or not Katniss survives, you're going to keep reading to figure out who she ends up with before she gets killed, if she's going to get killed. Uh, and so there, there's just an extra added element there. It also ramps up the um, emotional side of reading, uh, especially for women readers. Male readers get caught up in love triangles, too. I'm not saying that it's, uh, you know, only female or, you know, non-binary readers can also get caught up in a good love triangle. But it has that emotional pull, uh, which is sometimes stronger for readers then the plot pull, which is like, how does the story end? Sometimes they're like, okay, I do kind of want to know how the story ends, but I really want to know who the protagonist chooses. And they get, uh, they become, you know, they build an allegiance to one of the prongs of the love triangle. Personally, I was always team PETA. I think that PETA was the only redeemable character in the book, uh, the whole, all the books. And, uh, yeah, if you're mad about that, I don't care. Gail was a jerk. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you my opinion as if it's fact. But I can actually show you proof in the text of this theory that I have that PETA's the only character worth caring about. And I love PETA. I'm, I'm team PETA, all right? But that's the thing is, like, I liked the stories. But the love triangle gave me something more to root for than uh, the downfall of District 1. And as we find out, once you go through all the books, that maybe it's not just that you don't like District 1. That's not enough of a resolution for you, and things are more complicated. And obviously, Suzanne Collins is a master at weaving all of those things together. Uh, but you're, 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 you want to know, what is Katniss going to do? And so with that in mind... Uh, you, you look for the transformation, and this is why I'm Team PETA, right? Because I see PETA's character is really the only character who is unchanged by all the junk that everybody in this very depressing world has to go through. Uh, in the beginning, he burns the bread, 
on purpose. Well, this is like spoiler stuff, okay? So I was trying not to do too many spoilers. Hunger Games is, has been out forever, though. So please, uh, if you don't want to hear spoilers, yeah, I don't know. Just pause it and go read the whole series. And you'll be able to read it in like three days because you can't stop reading once you start. And so uh, Peta burns bread at the very beginning and gives it to Katniss because Katniss is literally starving and he gets beat up by his dad for it. And so he's like comes from a family that has more, way more than Katniss's family does. But throughout the entire series, he's always trying to do the right thing. And that doesn't always mean doing the right thing for Katniss, even though he loves Katniss. He is trying to filter what his decisions are, not just based on what she says, but what his moral compass tells him. And he's unwilling to compromise uh, when it comes to doing the righteous thing, whereas Gail is very willing to do whatever it takes to win. And that really blows up in his face, literally, uh, when something horrible happens that I don't want to talk about because it's going to make me cry. Something horrible happens to Prim, okay? And Gail is partly responsible. And that is why almost everyone's okay that Katniss chose Peta and not Gail. So Suzanne Collins created this dynamic where the transformation could happen from Katniss has no reason to love Peta to Katniss has no reason to love Gail. And you're just like, how? How does she manage that swing? But it's through the entire series, and it's because of their character. And there's even one point in the book where the three of them are together down in a basement, and Katniss pretends like she's sleeping, and she hears Peta and Gail talking about, like, how she's going to choose who to be with. I mean, they're all probably going to die at this point. That's what they think, right? But they're arguing about... Uh, who's going to be her boyfriend, <laughs> which seems silly. It seems silly, but these are the kinds of things that even when your life is in danger, you're still thinking about the people you love. So that is the kind of thing that you need to try to set up in your story if you're going to create such a dramatic transformation. And a love triangle or is a great way to either transition uh, your character from friends to lovers or enemy to lovers with one of the supporting characters. Uh, also, you can have it this way. Like, let's say that, um, let's go back to Pride and Prejudice because it's like, uh, like I said, it's one of the Genesis stories of the love triangle. And so you have enemy to lover with Mr. Darcy, right? Because Jane, not Jane, Elizabeth, <laughs> I'm getting my uh, Miss Bennett's confused here. M Elizabeth just cannot stand Mr. Darcy because she thinks that he's so prideful. But in the end, he obviously sacrifices his own financial, uh, you know, he gives a bunch of money to Wickham to shut up about the scandalous affair that's happened uh, with Libby. And <laughs> he's selfless, right? So he's not so prideful. He's not so prejudiced. And then Elizabeth realizes, hey, he wasn't the only prideful one. I was also being prideful and I was also being prejudiced. And it's through the transformation of him showing his true colors and him changing because he's in love with her and her understanding that she's not as perfect as she thought and changing because of him. That's it's a double transformation that ends in a very satisfying conclusion where we're like, Yes, double wedding with Jane and Lizzie now. Do it. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that's how they end the miniseries from the BBC. 
is they have the double wedding and you're like, yes. These things are adored because of how clever they are and because of how expected slash unexpected at the same time they are. And it's not easy to write these complicated relationships. So if you are a planner, I would say make your, just do a, do a character arc for the protagonist and do a character arc for the friend to lover or enemy to lover so that you can show yourself, your future self, who's tired of working on this project, a plan that you had to get the transformation complete so that the resolution can happen at the end of the story. Uh, and if you're doing enemies to lovers, you have to you have to work a little bit harder to make that transformation happen. But the danger with writing friends to lovers is that you might not work hard enough to make the transformation happen. And you're like, friend, 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 lover. And then everyone's like, wait, what? What just happened? So you kind of have to oversell that a little bit by making some transformation happen, even though it might seem natural. Uh, that's kind of boring to read where you're like, they're friends. Now they're boyfriend and girlfriend. What's what's the story? So you bring uh, plot elements in to create those dynamics where the characters can change and understand how much they mean to each other. Like, I'll give you uh, the really classic trope, right, is that two people are friends, something crazy happens where one of them gets hurt or one of them almost dies, and then they realize they have this awakening that the person who they who they are meant to be with has been with them all along, and they're just now realizing that their best friend Joe should be their husband or whatever, a wife. Joe could also be a lady or non-binary. So you have these ideas of, like, this is the typical thing you can do. And I'm not saying... Do or don't follow that trope. You can follow the trope. People love it. Uh, you can also subvert the trope by tweaking it a little. Just remember, when you subvert tropes, you have to have the same number of steps and the same types of steps that the original trope had, or else your, your uh, target audience is going to be irritated with you. They'll feel unsatisfied, and we don't want unsatisfied readers. And the reason why you would plan out these transformation curves for your character and their love interest interests, plural, singular or plural, is because you need you need it to make sense as you're going and you need to know uh, what what trope steps you need to include so that you can get to the satisfied reader, uh, you can get to the completed reader experience for your target audience. And if you don't know what a target audience is, uh, there's a whole episode about it. You can go listen to that on the Expensive Word podcast. And if you're going to write this kind of story, tell me because I want to read it. Tell me, okay? So if you're writing a friends to lovers or enemies to lovers story, or if you're writing a love triangle, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, like a newer love triangle that is a little bit different. I like reading those kinds of stories, and I think a lot of people do. And, you know, some people would call these types of stories guilty pleasures, but I don't think there's anything guilt. There's no guilt involved. There's no guilt in saying I love the Hunger Games. And one of the reasons why is because of this complicated love triangle. Uh, you know, of course, there are all the sociopolitical themes in that book, which are great. And Suzanne Collins does such an amazing job of bringing those issues to the forefront that a lot of young people hadn't been thinking about because she saw what her dad went through as he 
was dealing with the aftermath of being of serving, uh, you know, as a in armed forces as in the Vietnam conflict and how pointless that was. And that's a war we never should have fought. And LBJ lied to the whole country in order to get that rolling, which is awful. Um, So, yeah, there was just so many bad things, and that's what she's trying to show. But it's okay to say, I also like the love triangle between Katniss, Peta, and Gail. That's fine. It's the entertaining element that keeps you going when they're, you know, living in the compound and everything's so depressing, and Peta is basically a monster trained to kill Katniss. Like, all these horrible things happen in the book. So you're like, yes, okay, I need the love triangle to distract me for five minutes before we get back into a giant rose-scented zombie-like snake people who want to kill everybody in the sewers. And I'm not making those things up. Those are in the book if you haven't read it. Uh, You know, the series. So, you know, it's okay to provide relief from tension for your readers through something familiar like a love triangle. And I just want to end this podcast episode by explaining how they resolved the love pentagon on the heart of Dixie because I said I would. And how they did it is they turned the love Pentagon, which had five main characters who all loved different people in the Pentagon at different points in their lives, uh, except for the only ones who didn't really ever have a romantic relationship were um, Wade and Lemon. So the characters in the Pentagon are uh, LaVon, Dr. Hart, obviously she's the, you know, she's the protagonist, uh, George, Lemon, and Wade. And so Lemon and Wade never had any sort of thing, and Dr. Hart and LaVon never had any sort of thing because they're best friends. But you had Lemon and George uh, were going to get married, and then Wade and Dr. Hart were together, and then LaVon and Lemon had an affair, and that's why Lemon and George don't get married. And so we have these, like, Lemon goes back and forth between LaVon and George quite a few times, Uh, and in the end, the only way that they can resolve it is, of course, to make the love pentagon into a love hexagon, and they bring in Lemon's best friend, uh, oh, I'm spoiling the whole series for you, by the way, if you don't, I said I was going to do that, but I guess I didn't give a spoiler warning, so if you don't want to know how the heart of Dixie ends, don't listen to the last two minutes of this podcast. So they bring in a character who you already love, who you already want to find happiness because her husband left her for his uh, receptionist, which is very cliche, by the way. Um, But, you know, it's a familiar trope. So she is having, like, she was in love with Yvonne. So she was kind of, like, to the side of the love pentagon. But in the end, for Levon and Lemon to end up together, they needed George to not have anyone. So they brought in Annabeth and they had like a really quick transformation of friends to lovers, but it was, it was successful, I thought. Uh, and so that's really the only way you can resolve the love Pentagon, unless you're going to have like a poly relationship because it's uneven, <laughs> you know, like it's an odd number. Five is an odd number. And I thought that that was a, um, It was a quick resolution that they did because the show got canceled, but I thought that it was satisfying, and actually two episodes before the last one was my favorite, and I kind of wished that I would have stopped and not watched the last two episodes, but anyway, it was good, and if you're interested in writing something like that, I would watch The Heart of Dixie and take notes, and, uh... Don't, but don't keep the suspense hanging over your reader's head forever because that's what soap operas do. And that's, 
that gets old and annoying after a while. So when you're writing books, uh, when you're writing series, you need to make sure that you have a successful resolution. And also, when you're writing relationships, you don't need every relationship to end like on this very um, linear path. You can leave things open. And even if you're not going to write a series, like maybe one of the characters is fighting with a family member. And at the end, they haven't resolved it, but the characters resolved to, uh, you know, think more about it or something like that. You don't always have to tie every relationship off and so give it like a very distinct conclusion. You can leave some things open-ended and this is the key. As long as you leave seeds of hope in the reader's mind, they will not feel dissatisfied if you do that. But if you leave the most obvious love interest or whatever friendship problems, if you leave those things open at the end, the reader's going to feel upset, even if you leave seeds of hope. So if you're writing a standalone, get the main relationships resolved. Uh, or if it's impossible for the, the character to resolve the main relationship, leave a lot of hope. And you have to be really careful, though, when you're writing something like that. I feel like that is a next level type of book ending. You know, it's like uh, Larry the Cucumber says, it's more of a European ending. There are more questions than answers. <laughs> And um, I would say that people in America generally don't like those kinds of endings. I know that in a lot of other cultures, like in the French culture, that's considered much more acceptable. But if you're writing for Americans, you better have a pretty concrete ending. And uh, in order to write something more open-ended, you really have to finesse the crap out of your story to get to that and still have reader satisfaction. So that's probably a next level thing. All right. Uh there's going to be a little thing that says, hey, if you have any questions at the end of this, but I just want to add this. If you have any questions about writing in relationships that relate to this series, email them to me. You can find a button that says email the host on expensivewords.com and I'll compile all the relationship questions and do a question and answer episode uh, that I'll tie into the series later if you're interested in that sort of thing. Thank you for going through this series with me. It's been a blast. And I hope that this helps you as you're writing relationships in your stories. And it's never too late to tell the story of your heart. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>